Hello, welcome to another episode of Group Therapy. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm joined today by Derek and Luke. And today we're going to kind of go off of what we did uh, a few episodes back on setting up your AR for defensive use. Um, I recently just purchased an AR. It's my first one. Derek will show you the, the lovely black rifle. Uh, so I have a lot of questions with it now because uh, I don't have a lot of friends that shoot it other than you, Derek, and you're busy man. We're busy men. So I want to have an episode today on, I bought my first AR, now what? So I've got a series of questions. I want to pick your guys' brain on basically where do you go after you pick up an AR, even if you've got accessories for it, like I've got my optic. Uh, I've got it set up the way I want to get it set up, uh, which we touched on in that episode of setting up your AR for home defense. But today's going to be a little more specific. I want to talk about, you know, taking it to the range. What are some exercises you should be doing with it? Um, and I guess we're just going to I'll start asking questions and we'll see where it goes. I'm going to let you kind of start us off, Derek, with um, I want to know more about what makes an AR a pistol versus a rifle and what are some considerations or laws, rules, things you need to keep in mind when you have an AR versus just a regular bolt gun. I hate this discussion because it's so, when you look at the laws, it is so stupid. Mm. But since you asked, I will go over a few things. So, when it comes to an AR being a pistol, typically it'll be a platform that has a barrel that's less than 16 inches and it does not have a stock on it. So you see some kind of fringe things like we sell a few Daniel Defenses, a few Armor Lights, and other uh, rifles there with a 14 and a half inch barrel that has a pinned and welded muzzle device. So that brings the legal definition up to 16. So that still counts as a rifle. So if the barrel length is under 16, if it's a pin and welded either flash hide or muzzle brake or some sort of mm-hmm. accessory, I guess. Yeah, that counts as, as barrel length when it's right. pinned and welded. So, okay. so. so now is that something you're going to get from a manufacturer or can you take mm-hmm. it to a gunsmith? Both. Okay. So if you bought, say I bought that pistol yep. and I wanted it to be a rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can take it to a gunsmith, tell them what I want on it, they pin and weld it, and now that's then classified as a rifle. I think you, you can move in that direction. You can start with a pistol, and you can build it into a rifle. Can you? Can you? Uh, there's a, this is one of those things where I really want the, the um, what's that word? The um, I need to mention this is not, Legal advice. <laughs> so um, I'm not. He- I'm not here. Being yeah, I'm not. I'm not looking for you know what the law says per verbatim, but I am interested right. since you deal with this every day. What are some things people should look out for? And it's constantly changing too, as a disclaimer as well. Yeah, it's I constantly mean, changing. We're mm-hmm. filming this. What's what's today? August second. Yep. Uh, so later this month, we should be hearing more information about ATF's uh, uh, pistol brace ruling. Now, uh, this is right now. Not a stock. It is a pistol brace. It's designed so that your arm goes through it. It straps to your forearm, and then you hold the the pistol like this. Almost called it a rifle. Uh, you hold it like this with with one hand. With which <laughs> ATF's regulation as to what is a handgun speculates not speculates. It specifies that it is designed to be fired with one hand, mm-hmm. which is pretty stupid. I mean, yeah. I, I hate this conversation. The ATF is a bunch of dumbasses. So, mm. um, But that is one thing that you need to consider. Now, when it comes to a pinned and welded muzzle device, we typically see that when you have barrel lengths that are closer to 16. Because if you have a 10, 5, or 11 inch like, like the SIG that you've got here, uh, you'd have to add a pretty significant muzzle device to get to the legal 16 inch uh Length, mm-hmm. so you typically see that with thirteen and a half, fourteen and a half inch barrels with a pinned and welded muzzle device, and you got to be selective on that because, especially if you want to go suppressed, you would have to pin and weld the muzzle device that your suppressor will go onto. Okay, so the flash hider, for example, like the yeah, I have the Sandman S that I have ordered for that, and I'm yep. currently in the waiting tank for that. So in this case, you wouldn't it wouldn't really benefit you to pin and weld that on because you're not going to get to 16 anyway. Right. But if this if this was a 145, mm-hmm. yeah, legally speaking, you would need to pin and weld that to make it a 16-inch barrel and, and thus still maintain its rifle status. Mm-hmm. And then for um for anyone listening, this is a this is the AR I got. It's the Sig M400 Tread in 11 and a half inch barrel. 
Um, I've got my accessories on there. Uh, and again, that suppressor, when that comes in, that's going to primarily live on that. Yeah. Um, let's go over what else you have on it. Sure. The brace is an SBA3, mm-hmm. which is uh, one of my uh, favorite braces. You've got a Hollis Sun 512 on it, a Magpul AFG, and a Surefire uh, Scout. Uh, what a 1,000 lumen yeah, 1,000 lumen with a rail grabber switch which temporarily is just kind of zip tied on here because you don't have a pick rail yet but uh, definitely good enough for now mm-hmm. and um, yeah um, the only thing I would say yes uh, put your suppressor on it when that gets all worked out mm-hmm. and then of course Geisley SSA yeah the trigger from, from everything I've gathered the trigger on those are pretty decent out the gate or am I wrong it's just I mean it's a standard GI trigger that's a little bit nicer than average. So, I mean, it's... What could be better? It could be better. I mean, it's just one of those points where I'm actually thankful that they didn't try to put something that's nicer than a standard GI because it's going to get swapped out anyway unless it started life with a Geisley in it already. Right. So, yeah. I'm okay that they put a standard trigger in there because a lot of people are going to change that out for something different that they want anyway, which is more subjective. So I'm fine with them putting that in there because yeah. it keeps the price down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a nice setup for sure. Yeah, so also touching on that, speaking of the trigger, so the trigger, uh, I obviously would like to get the Geisley because mm-hmm. I have someone here in the shop that keeps telling me that Geisley is only. Whatever so. that means. Yeah, whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> what I want to do is I want to fire it, get used to it the way it is now because yeah. I've already got mm-hmm. quite a lot of money put in the accessories. Yeah. Just as much, if not more, or close to than the actual pistol itself. That is how it be. Yeah. Yep. So my whole thing is the reason why I chose the tread is, I mean, it's got a lot of reviews. A lot of people seem to really like mm-hmm. it. I just wanted a good get started system that was proven. And the tread is proven. Yeah. It may not be the highest up on the chart. I mean, looking at some of other, some of the other brands that we carry mm-hmm. in form, in form of AR, but yeah. um, it's got a lot of good reviews. It's, I mean, ARs are customizable. So, Starting off with something like that, I can do whatever I want, triggers and everything. Um, but I have not got a trigger for it yet just because mm-hmm. my pocketbook is still a little bruised after getting all the accessories. Yeah. So I'm going to wait a little while, but I definitely will be changing that trigger out. And that's a good that's a good route yeah. to take mm-hmm. because you definitely don't want to skimp out on some of the other stuff. Like getting a nice optic, a really nice weapon light, these are all things that come first instead of upgrading the trigger because as this – this weapon sits, it's functional right, right. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting a Geisley in it first would, I think, have been the wrong route. Right. So put your optic on it, but your, your, put your light on it, and then you can start to upgrade the, the little bits on the rifle. Yeah. But right now it's functional, so I think you've done a great job with getting this set up because uh, if you have some, some pile of money that you'd like to dedicate towards a weapon you pretty much have to take about a third of that for the actual weapon itself. Right. So when I was actually, before I bought that and Mm -hmm. built it, I had a budget set aside. I knew everything was going to cost me. Yep. I got the rifle. I actually got all the accessories and bought those before I got my hands on the rifle Mm -hmm. because I knew no matter what system I was going to go with, it was going to fit on to my next AR or my first AR. But I want to talk about uh, suppressors. So suppressors, because I put that into my budget, Mm -hmm. the the Sandman is... um, very expensive. Actually, the Sandman is just about as much as maybe a little less than the the weapon itself. Yeah, they, what are they about a thousand bucks? Ah, uh, somewhere between eight and a thousand. Eight yeah. thousand. Yeah, yeah Sandman's are right around. Sandman's are right around eight hundred, nine hundred. And then if you're looking for like me with my Geisley, I'm running a Geisley URGI clone. So mm-hmm. I already got the Surefire fast attach on it. So I'm gonna go yep. Surefire SOCOM. That's I, what I'm I gonna do this. on mine. Yeah, and I know you're on the same too. boat as mine. Yeah, as me yeah. with the SOCOMs. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so the 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 M400 that I bought is actually on our site. Uh, it's marked down to nine forty nine ninety nine. That's a solid price. So by the time I got price. the tax stamp with the suppressor, mm-hmm. I'm paying more for that than I am the rifle. Yeah. Then you add an optic, a light grip. Couple extra mags. Optic, you're looking three to five hundred bucks entry level yeah. to intermediate level. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of course, I added the grip on there, which wasn't too bad because I wanted mm-hmm. to be comfortable. I'm not going to want to shoot it if it's not comfortable. Yeah, grips. I mean, you might find yourself having seventy two different grips right. over the next because you're never going to know until you're shooting yeah. it and you feel I, it. I settled because I used to run this as well. I settled on the BCM. Um, oh, what the heck is that thing called? It's it's a little yep. like hook looking thing. Um, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a hand stop. Pretty much. Is yeah. It the carve. No, I'm. Getting torn that's apart. That's from here. Uh, Rail Grabber. I'm thinking that's what I have ordered. 
Someone's going to know what I'm talking about. It's on my Mark 18. If you've seen some of our videos, you'll 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 notice it. Uh, CAG. That's it. The CAG. Uh, the CAG. Okay. Um, so um, that's what I settled on because when I'm using a now speaking of grips, you can't put a vertical grip on a a handgun. Okay, explain that. So this is not a forward. This is not a vertical grip per ATF. And I know on this. On that camera right there, I do want to mention, it looks like I'm pointing this right at Luke's head. <laughs> but I'm, it's not. I'm, I'm not. back here. <laughs> it's, it's forward a bit, so we're good. Um, so the law says you cannot put a vertical grip on a handgun. Okay. Now, doing so would turn it into an NFA item. So okay. $200 stamp and all that nonsense. There is a, there is a text of that law that says if you're – if your weapon is a certain overall length or greater, you can. So, like, if we collapse this thing down and we take off the muzzle device here, and I, I want to say 26 inches, maybe? Yes. If it's 26 inches or greater and still defined as a handgun, you can put a vertical grip on it. Um, not many guns will qualify for that, but um, so yeah, that's why I was looking at these, looking at the other sort of angled or hand-stop type type things there. So just something to think about. That way you don't accidentally give yourself a felony. <laughs> Nobody likes just, it when you accidentally felonize yourself. We've, we've, all, we've all done stuff. But uh, it's one of those things where it illustrates how stupid these laws are yep. and how stupid ATS Saving is. lots of lives with these bits of plastic. Totally, totally. Uh, but anyway... Um, so that's uh, the information. Okay. So yeah. touching more on suppressor and yep. trying to keep this conversation going. Yep. The suppressor, once I get it, mm-hmm. can you walk me through kind of what changes on a pistol versus shooting it the way it is now? Mm-hmm. And then once I put a suppressor on it, what are some things that I might encounter? This is going to be true of rifles as well, okay. not, not just pistols. But to answer your question, when you put a suppressor on, most all suppressors are going to add back pressure to your gas system. Okay. So, and you can gauge that by a couple uh, methods. The most obvious is the case ejection. Mm-hmm. Now, on an AR, a a well-gassed rifle is going to kick that casing out between 3 and 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So, if if I'm facing you like, like this, yep. anywhere from right here to about here, if the case So, is, you want it to go back... Back a little bit. So if there's a clock on top of your rifle. Yeah. If your muzzle is noon and your yep. buttstock is six. Okay. That clears it up. Yeah. So one thing that you'll be that you want to watch for though, especially if you have a, a weapon with a gas block that you can adjust, which can you do this one? Maybe. Um, if it's past four o'clock, closer to five and six, it, it it can't be six, of course, but if it's further on than about four thirty, it's under gassed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's forward of 3 o'clock, it's a little bit overgassed. Now, what I do is, especially if I have a gas block or a gas tube, something that I can adjust, mm-hmm. I will fire the weapon without the suppressor, and I'll try and keep the case ejection right at about 3 to 4 o'clock. And then I'll put the suppressor on and see where that moves. Most of the time, it's going to be overgassed, but it's still going to be safely overgassed. It's not going to be too much because you still want it to be able to function unsuppressed. Because if you set it up to to kick the casing out at uh, three or four o'clock when the rifle is suppressed, when you take the can off, you're lowering the the pressure in the gas system that could affect the operation of the rifle. So with that, I will optimize it for unsuppressed. And then when I put a suppressor on it, it just is what it is at that point. If I can find a happy medium, great. But that gun needs to operate when it's really dirty, using bad ammunition, and when it's unsuppressed. So those are all conditions that would uh, matter to you. So like when it comes to the ammunition thing, we can touch on this later, but some some ammos are not going to be as high pressure as others. Mm -hmm. So... That involves testing your ammunition as well. Um, but it also kicks back a lot of that, that uh, carbon gas into your face. Right. It, it comes out through the comes out through the ejection port, but it also comes through near the charging handle because there's a gap right here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, the gases will, will come through there and they get in your eyes. It's really, really 
aggravating. There are some gas systems out there. There are uh, bulk carrier groups, and there are charging handles that are meant to kind of seal that up or direct that into a safe direction. So that's one thing to think about. If you shoot suppressed and you're and you're getting a little bit too much gas in the in the face, you can tame that. I would say that the the charging handle is the the cheapest thing to change out first. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just one of those things to pay attention to. Um, I'd say. Yeah. All right. So let's touch more on the gas systems because yeah. there's more than one. Yeah. Can you let's starting with direct uh, impingement, which is what that is. Your sig. Yeah. Yep. Um, can you kind of tell me? you know, the gas systems and how they operate? I mean, is it a vast thing? I'm not sure how many there are. Uh, there's pretty much only, there's two main designs. Okay. Yeah, direct, most yeah. most of your common ARs that you're going to be able to go out and buy on the shelf are these two. Either direct gas or a short stroke piston. Okay, so what are the differences? So direct gas, like your SIG here, there's a hole on top of the barrel, of course. Mm-hmm. So some of the gas, the bullet goes past that hole, and then there's still tens of thousands of PSI in this in the bore after the bullet passes. So some of that gas is then bled through that hole, through a tube, and then it goes into your bolt carrier. It unlocks the bolt and it forces the carrier back into the spring in the uh, um, buffer tube Buffer tube here. And then it forces that bolt back into chamber the next round after ejecting the casing. Right. So um, the, the good parts about direct gas is that it is often the lightest the simplest, the cheapest, and the most accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, people will say that it's it's uh, the dirtiest, which it, it is dirtier than piston, yeah. especially if you shoot suppressed. But I think that the the negatives of direct gas have been worked out for most quality rifles. Yeah. If so, you're talking your $1,200, $1,300 AR, mm-hmm. you're, yeah, they've got it pretty well cleaned up. The size of the hole on top of the barrel... Uh, combined with the length of the gas tube, all of that little uh, fiddling that manufacturers have done since the AR was invented, really, all that's been pretty well worked out. And as long as you have a quality rifle, that sucker's going to run. So um, to me, direct gas is fine um, because it's also the easiest to swap parts out as well. So piston, a lot of piston ARs have their own bespoke operating system like hk and lwrc and f fn's not a an ar but you know what i mean right um so piston guns do have the advantage and i've actually got cz bren 2 here this is piston operated of course and we shot this in a video a few months ago i had it with my surefire suppressor on it did not have near as much gas in my face as my mark 18 for the reasons that i mentioned just now and in that video but um, when it comes to a piston, you have the advantage of the actual gases that come out of the, the uh, barrel are not then redirected into its own bolt. So the old adage was NAR is throwing up in its own mouth, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, the, you capture the energy of that gas, and that pushes a piston, mm-hmm. which cycles the receiver or uh, uh, cycles the bolt. Okay. So th- that's the advantage there. It's cleaner, it's cooler. And um, the downsides are it's heavier, it's on average a little bit less accurate, and you have that bespoke uh, gas system for each brand, really. Um, But when it comes to rifles that are not quite ARs, like this brand, or like an AK, like the SCARS and and that sort of thing, um, we see a lot of piston on those. All right, so I appreciate you explaining that to me because, again... I'm learning all of this, hence yeah. today's episode. Yeah. Um, so I'm taking my own notes. So moving you just, on. You just did this episode just so you I could I did learn. it for myself. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted this faster. episode. Yeah, so. Anyway, go on. I'm sure there's other people out there. They just don't know what to do. So we're going to go through it today. Let's talk about ammunition now. Yes. So I know you can get ARs. Um, a popular caliber people like to get is 223 Wild. You can shoot your 223 Wild, mm-hmm. Remingtons, and 556. Mm-hmm. So what I had gotten, uh, I was actually – the system, I call it the system. The AR I was looking at before this mm. was actually a two two three wild. Yep. I didn't know. I just knew, oh, that's one more caliber I could shoot. So if you could, if you could break down two two three wild, Remington, and 5.56, five, yep. the main three, yep. and tell me what, first of all, why are there that, like, why are there mm-hmm. differences if they all come out yep. of the same rifle? Mm-hmm. 
And what purposes or applications would you use for those calibers? It's like t- shooting target, home defense. Yeah. What caliber would you want to use and why? So to kick this off, let's address 223 Wild. Okay. 223 Wild is not so much a caliber. It's a chamber. It's a chamber. Okay. So what's the difference? So when you take a 223 chamber, that is going to be dimensioned in such a way where the tolerances are fairly tight. Yep. Right? Because it's going to be most accurate for the commercial market. Okay. Now, when it comes to a 5.56 chamber, the military chamber, that's the, the uh, chamber dimensions there are designed to be a little bit looser. Mass-produced. Mass-produced. Okay. That way you can run dirty ammunition. It's, it's a bit safer in that way. It's a bit more reliable when you look at all the... I mean, War is hell. With the five five six, that's the design of that mm-hmm. chamber is to put hundreds of thousands of rounds till yeah. the barrel pretty much melts out. Bad. So you can just build the carbon up and it's still yeah. gonna run like a workhorse. So it kinda gives you a little bit more clearance in the chamber? It does. It's a little, dare I say, sloppier okay. than a two two three chamber in that regard to make it more reliable for carbon buildup like you wouldn't believe. Dirty ammo, just 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 higher pressures. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the downside to that is it doesn't ring out the optimum accuracy. But we're talking about the 223 Wild still. We're 556 five, is the loosest and uh-huh. on average the least accurate chamber. Okay. Yep. But it's it's the most reliable that can take the most different types of ammunition, different manufacturers, different years, different clean, dirty, hot, right. cold, brass, all steel that. casing, anything. Yeah. yeah. So it it gives up the utmost in precision for Reliability. Okay. Two two three is the, the other way around. Okay. Two two three wild is a chamber that's kind of in the middle. It tightens up the five five six chamber a little bit, but it's still on average more accurate than it, but it can still shoot five five six. Right. When you're talking ARs, if it says two two three on, on the side, they say you should not shoot five five six in it. Because five five six ammunition is a different sort of pressure. It's a higher pressure and I think the, the casings can be just a smidge yeah, it has to do Different. with pressures in head in head spacing. I yeah. want to say it's like ten thousand psi difference. Yeah, ten thousand is a bit. When it's a you're substantial talking, when you're talking pressures. Yeah, it's about twenty percent. Yeah. So, um, so a a, a two two three AR. They're actually not too common anymore. We, I don't think we carry a single AR that is actually two two three. Most on the market you'll see are either straight up five five six like Daniel Defense, mm. or something like two two three Wild, like a Seekins. Yeah. Seeking something along those lines, yeah. you're seeing you're seeing more guys going away from chambering ARs and two two three Remington just mm-hmm. for the sole fact of now with the high success of the Wildy chamber, mm-hmm. good to go. Wildy, Wildy, Wild. Anyway, so when it comes to that though, um, speaking of Seekins, speaking of DD, I own both of those brands when it comes to ARs. I have a, a Seekins barrel in my Mark 12, and I have a that Mark 18. Daring Defense, 10-3, and I also have a 14.5-inch DD barrel in one of my rifles. With 77-grain match ammo, I just did a group like two weeks ago. It was flirting with half MOA. I think it was like 5.8 MOA. Mm. Now, with just normal 55-grain 5.56, that was around three-quarter MOA out of an AR with a 1-8 to on it. You know, like that, that is still very accurate. That's impressive. It's still, it's more than good enough for the purposes of that rifle. Um, so when it really comes down to it, though, for a defensive rifle, it doesn't really matter to me whether it says 5.56 five, or 223 Wild on it because it's still going to be accurate enough and it's going to be reliable. So, okay. So I want to ask this for my own mm-hmm. setup, yep. my own AR, because it's not a 223 Wild, it's a REM and 5.56. Five, so let's pretend that it shoots two through wild and everything else. What are like are there applications for one over the other? Like would I want to use one like a two two three for target or home defense versus five five six for the other? Typically your two two three is a little bit cheaper than yes. what five five six is. And this so. is REM. This is two two three rem. Okay. Yeah. So your two two three Remington is going to be a little bit cheaper than your five five six. So like mm-hmm. for me with my AR, I'm running a Geisley five five six. I have a URGI clone. So with the 223, I have a stockpile of that that I can go to the range, practice, everything like that. And then I have my 556, my full house 556, 62 grain green tip that I have for defensive settings. Green tip for defense? 
That's what I got. That's what I could get my hands on, and it was we a good need, price. You need to you need to sort that out. <laughs> you don't want green tip. So for, we can I'm, touch on that. I mean, outside what's the, the big deal uh, with green tip. My whole plan on this is not to be used inside the house. Well, I have well, others for in the house. Before Luke pulls out a knife and stabs me, here, here's here's <laughs> here's why. Green tip is a it has a the uh, bullet itself is not just a copper jacketed lead core like most bullets. It has a steel rod inside of it. Okay. That is to penetrate deeper than your standard uh, full metal jacket ball ammunition. Which expands upon impact. Correct. Yes. What makes the 556 or 223 or whatever, what makes that a, a very effective round for defense is because it, it deforms, it splits into, into pieces. It, it is very effective because it goes inside the, the uh, soft target and it changes direction. And it, it breaks up. Mm-hmm. Now, a 62-grain green tip is not going to come apart. It's just going just gonna to drill straight through. Okay. So it's not transferring that energy into the target. I see. So when it comes to the uses for green tip, it's more so a military application when you're trying to shoot through light obstacles and that sort of thing. Okay. Or light body armor. Gotcha. Um, I think it's good to have green tip. Mm-hmm. Um, there are... There are some instances where, like, a uh, police officer might carry green tip if he has to shoot through a car windshield, mm-hmm. for example. Um, I think green because it'll keep that better. trajectory strong. Yes. Yep. Rather than impacting and diverting. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's the word. Fragmenting. So, um, green tip for defense. I personally do not advise. Okay. Um, it's what, what I could get my hands on. <laughs> well, you have no excuse now because ammunition's out. It's yeah. starting um, to come back. So now, what some people will do is actually they'll run self-defense or varmint ammunition because that is designed even more so than your standard 5.56 to actually fragment and mushroom out and all that. Because you, the military, per the laws of war, you can't use hollow point or expanding ammo. Okay. So that's all they got. Mm-hmm. But we aren't bound to the same rules. So I would say a good setup for a defensive rifle like that for the house or whatever is to consider using... Uh, Specific self-defense expanding ammunition. Especially, I'm sure. I'm not sure if you guys, because I wasn't in on the home defense episode, but I'm sure, yep. especially with fragmenting, you're, it's better for inside the house because you don't want to be going into different rooms. Yeah, and when it comes to to shooting inside the house in a defensive situation, there's a lot that needs looked over, and that's that just comes down to the practice, which we'll get to here in a few minutes. Okay. Well, thanks for clearing that up. Uh, Moving along with ammunition, I want to talk about magazines. Mm-hmm. Specifically, um, what types of mag, storage mm-hmm. of ammunition, whether that be in the mag, in an ammo can. What are some practices if you just now own an AR and you're mm-hmm. going to start stockpiling your ammo, mm-hmm. or excuse me, start... Re- acquiring. Start, start acquiring. That's the word I was looking for. Start acquiring ammo. What, stockpile a sensitive word? Well, in this day and age, it could be a sensitive word Look, tomorrow. We're, we're, we're past that now, man. <laughs> we can use the word stockpile. Okay, so you want to get a bunch of ammo for your AR. Yes. Um, what is, what's, um, what's your process, Derek, for, for handling all that ammo? Well, I keep most of the ammo I keep loose in cans, okay. ammo cans. If it's match ammunition, like I have a bunch of 77 grain, I'll keep those in their boxes in a can as well. But if it's just your standard 55 grain stuff, that's just loose in cans. It's the most dense way of storing it. Okay. I will keep a number of magazines loaded, fully loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't subscribe to the, you know, it wears out the spring stuff, that BS that, we, that we've heard from, from boomers forums. and forums and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Yeah. So right now I have... My my uh, plate carrier is at home with six loaded mags in it, f- fully loaded. Um, a, a battle belt with two loaded mags in it. A uh, a, a London Bridge um, uh, chest rig with a few mags in there as well. Depending on the situation, if you need something, it's right there. Mm-hmm. I don't keep everything loaded, but I keep a reserve of ammunition in what whatever I need to grab or use. There's enough ammunition right there to do what I need to do right there. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like, it sounds over the top. It sounds paranoid. It sounds ridiculous, but that's just how I have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's because it's it, one of those things where it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. It's casual. I just just yep. just put it all together and just leave it there. Yep. 
you don't need to go LARPing around with it, but it's good to have it. Um, so um, I don't subscribe to leaving your mags empty to, to not wear out the spring. I don't subscribe to the loading it with 28 rounds because loading it with 30 rounds makes it harder to insert into the rifle. You know, I'd say, do you know what the antidote to that is? You, if you load your rifle on a closed bolt with a full mag, put it in there, seat it, hit that thing. Yeah, they're, they're tools. They're meant Stop to be. Stop being soft. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to hurt them. You know, um, a good rifle, you won't even need to really do that too, too much. But I'm pretty tired of people who aren't treating their weapons like tools. Yeah. You know, don't baby it. It's a machine. It's made to run way harder than you will ever run it. Yeah, because these things have been designed and met and mm-hmm. kept to standards for military application. It's You're talking dust, water, drops, all kinds yeah. of horrible, like anything yep. you could put that rifle through. Yeah. So as a regular civilian, mm. you're not you're likely not going to put that through any worse damage than what it was actually designed for. Not even close. But it's good to ha- it's good to have that capacity. Like in the same way that like uh, you're wearing a watch that can go 200 feet underwater. Mm-hmm. When are you ever? going to be 200 feet underwater right never if i am but, i'm probably not concerned about the time you will be dead by <laughs> exactly. now yeah but the thing is if you want to go in a pool or you want to go for a swim like you know it's going to be fine because it's nowhere close to right. the mechanical limit of it mm-hmm. but it 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 drives me up a wall that people want to use what the military uses or they use the military as inspiration for their products, but they don't want to rise to the level of training necessary to effectively use the weapon. And they baby him. And they baby him. Like this, like hit The kind of people that will buy a a military style something or other, like a scope, say for Mm -hmm. example, and then call in and complain because it had a ring mark because it was tested at the manufacturer. Night Force, yeah. 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 Like if you want what they have, I mean, it's going to be tested. Yes. Just, We'll take a break here for you, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> let my, I'll let my blood pressure come down. We'll be okay. Anyway, um, I want to touch on one thing with the ammo real quick that I forgot to mention. Okay. Um, you had mentioned what do you use, what do you have, two, two, three, five, five, six. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for range versus home defense and all that. Because two, two, three is typically cheaper, mm-hmm. two, two, three is kept for practice. Okay. And just dicking around and that sort of thing. Five, five, six. All those magazines that I mentioned in my carrier, my chest yeah. ring, my belt, that's all five, five, six. So loose in a can is your mm-hmm. 2 RAM. Yeah. And if I want to go to the range, I'll, I'll load up a few mags for that day, mm-hmm. and then that'll be it. Yep. Um, now, 223 is not going to run as high a pressure. So when you are do, uh, doing things like setting up your gas system, if you have a, a, a gas block that you can adjust, all that sort of stuff, you would need to be mindful of uh, what you're running. What you're running, yeah. But also, do you ever say something on YouTube that you really regret saying? That you look back on it and like, why the hell did I say that? <laughs> I feel like you have. Yeah. I feel like I have, yeah. So in our Christensen video, we did a, um, it was the CA556. Okay. That was a popular video. That was one of our first ones we did. God, of course. It was one of the first ones, and I did say the cliche, if it doesn't run steel, it doesn't deserve brass. Yeah. I want to clarify a few things on that. Okay. Because I feel, I feel like an ass for saying that, because when it comes to shooting steel, shooting steel is fine. It's not going to damage a gun. Yep. Shooting steel casings, as cl- not steel, yeah, yeah, steel yeah. targets, steel casings. Steel casings. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get to target. Shooting steel casings is fine. It's not going to wear out your extractor. It's not going to wear out your chamber, all, all that nonsense. What it is, though, in most cases, it is undercharged. It's a weak powder load in that case. Okay. Um, it's just cheaper that way. If you can get away with using 10% less gunpowder or whatever it is, or a crappier gunpowder, it saves money at the factory. And a lot of this stuff being Russian-made, that's kind of what they do. Um, but because those rounds are not as high pressure as your standard 5.56, it might not have enough oomph in it to cycle the weapon. Right. So that's where you get some of the steel is unreliable nonsense. Mm-hmm. It comes down to that. So it's just, it has less powder. It has, yeah. It's less powder or... Pressure smaller. Yeah, the pressure is lower. Yeah. yeah. And most, like I, sh- I have some Tula 2.23, and that's, that's just if I want to go where it doesn't really matter what I'm shooting or how far for accuracy. When none of that matters or if like... My friend wants to shoot my rifle a little bit. Okay, here's some here's some cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. That you know, that's mag what dump. I use that for. Yeah, mag, <laughs> mag dump. Get out of here. Um, 
All right. So now here's the heart of the conversation. Yep. This is what I really want to get into because as a responsible AR owner, I want, <laughs> I want to be able to go out, uh, use it effectively, use it safely. So I know with a bolt gun, I could take it out and I could set targets up and plank all day long and then have a great time. I can learn a lot of stuff. I could practice with dope and windage and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So with an AR, because I've never owned one, I've never gone out and shot one. I've actually only shot two ARs in my life. One was that 5.56 that we had. Mm-hmm. I actually shot once when we were out. And then I think I shot one of Bainey's ARs. Mm-hmm. But it was never like a full day. I don't know much about it. Right. My question is, once you have an AR, what is some good training practice? I'm not talking going to a training class, mm-hmm. but just you yourself going out. What are some things that you want to um, – use or have with you it's like steel targets how many should you have what type should you have so like what's it look like for the person that buys an ar now they want to go out and shoot it and they're by themselves and they just they want to get a they want to get used to it Mm -hmm. what are some things that you could kind of recommend for them uh the the overall thing i'd say is start small okay you don't need to get a whole bunch of expensive stuff right off the bat Mm -hmm. in the same way that when you're getting into shooting or reloading or whatever Whatever it is you do, when you're trying something new, you don't just go and spend a thousand bucks on stuff if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to if you're training for personal defense, a lot of that's going to be very close range. So cardboard targets are good for that. I I made some cardboard holders. You'll see them in the Vectronics Cody video that we did. Okay. I I just took some some uh, some beams of wood that are probably like. Half by inch and a half or so. Yeah. I made like an H frame uh, sort of frame thing. Okay. And then I just stapled some cardboard to it. That's all that might. That's yeah. all that might. And, and then I just screwed some uh, half inch wide pieces of PVC to the bottom. That way I can just, I can nail down some rebar into, into the uh, ground mm. and then just place it on that. Okay. So, um, and all that combined with the rebar, I made three targets for like 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah. So it's not too, too bad. So you don't need to go out and get a steel target and no. start hammering that. So what's the range look like for the... And especially, too, if we're talking home defense, I just bought this AR for home defense. Most of the distance that you're going to want to be practicing at, yeah, he not was just, shooting steel He at. was just mentioning that. I'd say, I mean, look at how, how far will the distances be inside your house. Mm-hmm. If you have a hallway that's, say, 15 yards long, I mean, I would keep your practice to around that, call it 25 mm-hmm. and in. And when it comes to shooting 223 on steel, having quality steel is important. I'd say you don't want to shoot mild steel because that bullet's going to crater and that can redirect that bullet in a very unsafe direction. Mm-hmm. Um, AR-500 steel is fine. AR-550, if you can get it, yep. is less likely to crater because... Okay. At close range, even AR-500, you're going to start causing little dimples in it. Uh, but just to be safe, what would you say, 50 yards? I have never shot a piece of steel with a centerfire cartridge under 50 yards. I have. It's, I do not advise it. Yeah. So let me put it in you in a scenario because in my head, before we had this conversation, I was just trying to think of like mm-hmm. what it would look like if I take it out to a range mm-hmm. and try to get some realistic ranges. So what I was thinking is, obviously, there's home defense, which is going to be close call. Mm-hmm. But another thing about me getting this AR versus an actual longer rifle is I'm not worried about long range with it. Right. But I would like to see, I would like to maximize the effective range of it. So mm-hmm. let's say up to 100 yards, no more than 150 yards. That's really pushing it. But yes. 100, I think 100 yards for me is a good range. I would like to know... How, how good can I be at 25 yards to mm-hmm. 50 to 75 and then do 100 yards? Pretty much what you should do is, at first, just to keep it cheap, do some dry fire. That okay. is, and when, when, when people train, a lot of people make the mistake of keeping it too, what's the word, structured, too stiff? Regimented. Regimented? Uh, yeah, I would say regimented is a good uh, word. Um, for like, a lot of the videos you see out there for training purposes and everything like yeah. that. Yeah, so... When you have to use your weapon defensively, you're not going to have a lot of time on your hands. Mm-hmm. So being able to take your weapon from however you're holding it, seeing a target, identifying it as a threat, and bringing it up to engage, that time needs to be trained to be shortened as quick as possible. So that should be the first thing you should really train on is, what would you call that? Your your 
pretty much bringing the gun on target. Yeah. Target acquisition. Target acquisition. acquisition. There you go. Yeah. So, um, uh, a lot of people will, will do dry fire in their house where they'll pick a spot on the wall or they'll they'll they'll, they'll put something there like a little sticky, and then they'll go from like a low ready, and then they'll bring it up, and then they'll squeeze their trigger when it's on target. Mm-hmm. So that muscle memory of bringing that gun up is going to matter later on. Okay. So that's a good way to start without sinking a bunch of you money. You buy anything it. then. Exactly. A sling maybe. But yeah. you should have a sling anyway. You should, yeah. And make sure, just make sure your gun's empty. Yes. Just stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, And with doing the whole dry firing thing, it's going to mm-hmm. help better your mechanics such as, and especially too, coming from like the world that I came from, I was bolt gun. I've mm-hmm. shot a ton of bolt gun. And here recently, I've owned an AR before, but then I sold it, and then I just bought another one here again this year. But it's been a hot minute since I've... Actually, is only. It's been a hot minute since I've shot. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing, too, is being able to practice, to be familiar with the weapon system of going, okay, here's mag mag change, Mm -hmm. target acquisition, to be smooth but not regimented because... Mm -hmm every scenario you're going to come into is going to be different. Exactly. So you want to be smooth in your subconscious as to how you acquire the target, what's your low ready position, what's your sling position, because that's a whole conversation we could probably do a podcast on is how do you carry your rifle? Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, we're already getting pretty late into this, so um, that does sound like a can of worms. Maybe that's something we can touch on later. We'll press on. Yeah, but being able... Exactly. That's a whole can of worms that me and Derek could go into... Way into depth, but for just, I bought my AR, I want to go out and shoot. That's the same thing, too, is getting paper target, starting off dry firing, becoming Mm -hmm. familiar with the weapon, going out, starting at 25, 50 yards with paper, Mm -hmm. because you can actually go out, count your number of shots that are hits, you can Mm -hmm. tape them real easily, you can just get a piece of scotch tape tape so you know where you're Mm -hmm. at, you can check your groupings, everything like that. And then Mm -hmm. once I say, once you proficient, well, master, I wouldn't... Master, I wanted to say master, but I can say master. Once you've mastered that skill of mm-hmm. getting small groups, fast target acquisition, mm-hmm. fast engagements, mm-hmm. then you can start branching out and start stretching the limits because once you hone in that skill, it's going to be better as you expand over distance. And that's something that I run in the issue with is being a long-range shooter, bolt gun, I want to grab my 11-and-a-half-inch Geisley and go, I want to shoot this sucker out at 200 yards and see what I can hit. Yeah. Where- yeah, we, we did that when we were shooting. We did that video on the Vortex 6X magnifier on my Mark 18. Mm-hmm. Apart from, like, one or two shots, all my groups offhand at 200 were that. Mm-hmm. But, again, that's not, the, that's not the purpose of why I got that no, rifle. When it comes to defense, you want to get as many rounds on target as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do that, you're going you're gonna to win. Now, what a lot of people do is they fire way too, they practice too slow or they practice too few rounds. Or one thing that annoys me a little bit is they'll, they'll put too much emphasis on two shots out of their rifle, slinging that and bringing their pistol up. Okay. Okay, like that's fine. It's good to practice that. But you really, I feel like you'd have to master both of those separately before you really want to train with both. Yeah, Correct. That's, that's a little bit on the advanced side of things. But my gripe with that is... If you do that too much, you're going to build a muscle memory that has you putting your rifle down after only two shots. Yeah. And something like that happened with me when I went from pump shotguns to semi-auto. My first semi-auto that I shot, I wanted to pump. And that delayed you. And that, yeah. And like, what the, what the hell am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so that, that's, that just shows how much muscle memory can really matter when you're not thinking. Because you're, you're not thinking during You have to fight it in those situations. And when you're fighting yeah. it, then you're, you're slow. So basically mm-hmm. what I would say is see how fast you can put your rounds on target. Now, speed is usually the inverse of accuracy. Mm-hmm. And distance makes that worse. So if you're firing as fast as you can on like a torso-sized target – and you want to hit within about an 8-inch circle at 50 yards, you're probably going to be a shot every second, half second, something like that. If you move that same 8-inch target to a more realistic distance, say 10 yards, you could almost just hammer down as fast as you can go, mm-hmm. and you'll find most of those rounds on target. Okay. So when you're practicing, practice your speed, but also find that cadence that you can still be on target because it's not just getting rounds down range as such. And you have to be honest with your acceptable levels of accuracy because at close range on a defensive level, the, 
the standard for accuracy is not high. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, the target is very large for how close it is. Right. Minute of bad guy. That's minute it. of minute of bad guy up close is you. It's it's a big target. So what you like need, shooting a door. Yeah. So yeah, right in front of you. Yeah. So I mean, practicing your target acquisition, your speed of your shooting, and and such is going to matter first. Okay. Uh, then I would say then you can start getting into your reloads. Uh, then start getting into your uh, if you have a jam of some sort, you know, what do you do? And you can induce that. You can drop a spent casing into your uh, bolt area right here mm-hmm. and then chamber around and get yourself a double feed or something like that. You can, you can cause a failure, a malfunction that you can then address. Right. So stuff like that is going to matter. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people see, they see what Grantham's doing and T-Rex and all that, and all that sort of stuff, and those guys are incredibly competent. With their weapons, and they've spent hours and oh. hours and hours training. It's literally their job. It's Correct. their job, yeah. Um, but uh, I want people to be selective about who they get inspiration from, mm-hmm. who they. Uh, I'm. I'll be the first to say I'm not an authority on weapon training, mm-hmm. as such. Um, I've. I know what I've done. I've taken a few classes here and there, but. What I'm here to say is be selective with who you listen to and pretty much how you go through it. Think it through. You know, is what I'm being told by this by this person on YouTube, is this making sense to me? And you know, if it's not, then pursue it. See if see if it's something that's 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 worth following or not. Yeah. Well, before we get deeper into it, let's talk about the zeroing distance of an AR. So yeah. how what does that look like? It depends on your goals really. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to an AR pistol for defensive use, um, it's not a problem if you want to zero that thing at 25 yards mm-hmm. because at the typical defensive ranges that you're dealing with, if you need to go zero to 50, hold center mass or upper center mass, and you're, you're going to hit where you need to. Mm-hmm. It, you, you're going to make an effective hit. Um, but it doesn't matter a huge ton. It, yeah, just, it just really doesn't. For defensive, you don't need to hold a certain MOA. You no, just need to be able to yeah, contact yeah. that target. Yeah, you just need, you just need to connect. Yeah. But uh, my Mark 18 is zeroed at 40 yards, and that puts me back on at 200. It being a 10.5-inch barrel, the velocity is a, a little low. If you compare that to like a 16-inch barrel, you'd run a 50-slash-200-yard zero because that bullet is coming up to meet the plane of the optic at 50. It's peaking at about 160, and it's coming back down to meet the optic plane at 200. Right. Now, the shorter you make that first distance, the longer your second distance is going to be, but the bigger your vertical spread is going to be between the distances. Mm-hmm. Right. So my other rifle is zeroed at 33 yards, and that puts me right dead on at 300 because that's a longer range rifle. It's a 14 and a half inch barrel with a 1 to 8 scope on it. That's more relevant to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to something like this, zero it at whatever distance you deem necessary, but then practice see what see see what that uh, bullet's doing at different ranges right so if you're trying to optimize it for inside the house that's totally fine you can rock a, a 10 15 yard zero if you want to mm-hmm. but shoot it at 25 50 75 100 and see what that bullet's doing because the closer you make your first zero the bigger the difference is going to be down range so mm-hmm. if you have a 15 yard zero that bullet might be a foot high at at 100 yeah you know, so that could matter to you. I've got two, three more things to touch on, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to bring this up now because I don't know when I want a good spot. Maybe when yeah. we start talking about accessories, but with training and with ammo and everything, I know you run a 22 bolt carrier group. Yes. In your Mark 18. Yeah. So, and can you explain to the people listening and watching why you do that? Uh, the short answer is uh, cost savings yep. and safety. And uh, I do some training at my buddy's house, which you can shoot unsuppressed full power there if you want to, 5.56. Five, but it's, it's, it's one of those like, okay, there's a certain courtesy to your neighbors that we would like to follow. Mm-hmm. So, whoops, there we go. Um, but 22 is incredibly quiet, and it, it's very cheap. Right. And it doesn't have the safety considerations that 5.56 five, would because it's only going two miles an hour, right? So what a 22 conversion kit is, is you take out your bolt carrier group in your AR and you replace it with one that'll make it shoot 22. 
up front, it'll have what looks like just a casing of a two, two, three, five, five, six round, and that pretty much shoots a a, a twenty two round through that. So it's two inches of freeboard, mm-hmm. um, and then it goes into the rifling of your AR. Now it's two, two, three. It's the same bore size as twenty two, so it's able to fit and 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 function there safely without being too high pressure, too low a pressure. It's not going to be the most accurate, I'd say, um, with that two inches of free bore and the twist rate being twice as fast as what a normal 22 is. It's, you're not going to be planting small, small groups with it. But if you're trying to do close-range practice, uh, it's a good way to get some live fire in for cheap. Right. So I do like it. Um, I do try and sprinkle that in with a healthy mix of live fire just to get the the recoil management and that sort of thing that you can only get with normal center fire. But uh, 22 does teach you a lot of those benefits that you can probably get 90% of your uh, trainings worth with 22. And I'd say it's better to shoot 1,000 rounds of 22 through your AR than 100 rounds of 5.56. You learn so much more from that. Yeah. Okay. Just got to clean it. It gets dirty as all hell, man. Oh, yeah. Do you have anything that you can contribute as far as training with the AR goes that people should know right out the gate as a first-time AR owner? First-time AR owner, be honest with what you need out of it mm-hmm. first. And then you can set up your training regimen around that. Mm-hmm. It's no point. There's no point in training at 300 yards and doing the utmost in precision if you're just training for home defense. Right. So set your standards. Yep. Uh, be honest with yourself, and uh, uh, when you actually start to do live fire, make sure that you keep it somewhat structured. Uh, like uh, some people will 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 film themselves, mm-hmm. and they'll look at it and they'll say, "Okay, my form is a little bit off here. How can I improve this?" Like mm-hmm. uh, recoil management. You know, take, finding your your footwork is important. A lot of people, when they're new to shooting, just in general. When they're standing up, they'll be standing up as if they're just standing in line at, at a grocery store. They're not, they are not. They don't take an athletic stance to shoot with because yeah. a lot of this stuff is like you need to be able to move as well mm-hmm. because yep. this, is, this is what he said about the, uh, the uh, being at a range and it being too structured and all that. Yep. Um, it's difficult to find a place where you're permitted to move and shoot. It's difficult, but if you can find a place to do that, it's going to be hugely advantageous because if you can shoot while moving left to right, forward and back, you know, that sort of thing, that can be really, really effective because it totally changes how you shoot, really, and it really opens you up to um, being less accurate with your shots if you have to move. Yeah. So just get used to it, you know? Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is um, cleaning, maintenance, how to care for it. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of give an, an instructor stance as to <laughs> what people, like talk at me about how I should take care of it? I mean, keep it clean. Yep. Uh, you don't need to go too, too crazy with it, but just keep it clean. Um, a lot of people will just let their guns get super, super dirty. And to be honest, you probably could. You can let this gun go for thousands of rounds and it would likely be fine. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to a defensive weapon, it's one of those things where you can't chance it. So every time you shoot, it, you, you don't need to go hog wild with it. I just drag a boar snake through the bore. I'll get some Q-tips in the chamber. I'll, I'll uh, get a brush on, on the bolts and the bolt carrier and all that. And that's pretty much it. It can be simple. It can be pretty quick. But just keep it clean. Because that's, if that's the one thing that saves you in a, in a defensive situation... That's that's the difference between winning and losing. Right. If yeah. it was just a range gun, like eh, screw it, you don't need to clean it right away. I mean, you should, mm-hmm. but I mean, I've gone I've gone to the range and back and not clean it. It's like, hey, I'm shooting next week. I'll just I'll clean it after that one. So if you're using that for both range and also sits mm-hmm. for home defense, mm-hmm. so would you want to clean it after every time you take it to the range? I I I would. Um, as simple as just running a bore snake and oiling some things. I mean, yeah, you're mostly. Uh, focusing your efforts on the chamber and on the bolt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bore, you know, bore snake, okay, whatever. That bullet's going to go down that 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 barrel, whether it's dirty or not. Right. But you want to make sure that your bolt is fully closing, so there can't be carbon buildup there. 
and you want to make sure that it, it has enough, uh, it's clean enough to cycle for all the parts to move around and that sort of thing in there. And, and like I said, you could probably let this thing run for a long, long string of shots without cleaning it, and it's going to be fine. Um, but like I said, it's a, what's the reward in doing that? You're taking the risk, but there's no reward. Right. And no. plus two, then down the road when it comes time to clean it, it is a nightmare oh, yeah. to get that clean once that carbon yeah. hardens. It is mm-hmm. an absolute nightmare to get it clean. It is. Are there any certain cleaning supplies or accessories that you should look oh, out Jesus. for? Um, <laughs> I love Bortec. I mean, that's... I um, use Bortec and Hornady One-Shot. Those are m- and everything I use. Hornady One-Shot is the dry lube, and I use Bortec on just about everything. I don't I don't even know what the heck I use. No, Wipeout's I another use, good one. I, I just use take uh, that CLP. Like, yeah. I use CLP. I have, I have some powder blaster. It's like a brake cleaner type yep. thing where you just spray on carbon and it just comes off. Like a, uh, what do you call it, an aerosol? Yep. Yeah. That's what I use on my AR. Yeah. It's, it's called Wipeout. Yeah. And I just spray it in there, and it's a big white foam, and then all of a sudden it turns black. And yeah. then wipe it all off. The foam's nice for the chamber when you really want to get in there because yep. you can't always get all of the chamber. Right. Um, but again, to you talk to twenty guys, and all twenty guys are going to tell you what cleaning product's the best product. Right. Yeah. It's all no, different. but I mean, as far as material goes, you just want a, a simple bore cleaner, some Q-tip swabs. Um, I like CLP, uh, just because it does everything in one go. I think what he's is that, sure. but I mean, have on hand. Or snake, chamber brush, Q-tips. Go to Harbor Freight. Yep. They have and a... get jack stands. <laughs> don't, no, don't get jack stands. <laughs> Never buy Harbor a jack stand from Harbor Freight. <laughs> no, 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 no. Go to Harbor Freight. They have a bag of differently sized Q-tip looking things. Yeah, I've seen those. Um, and those, some of those big ones are awesome. Yeah, and so you can really get the inside of the chamber. You can get... They're like this. They're oh, like yeah. It's a different size... Bag. It comes with it with a bunch of different ones. It's pretty cheap as well. It's yeah, just, just just a few dollars. Um, or you next time you're in your your doctor's office, just uh, gank a few of those super long Q-tips from the little cup there. Make sure you cough into the container. Before <laughs> you too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, finding what you like to use. Um, of course, gun specific brushes and such are usually the best. But you know, yeah. sometimes you just find a brush that's not necessarily meant for it, but it just fits and works. I have a brush from Bortec that's a chamber brush, so it gets mm-hmm. into the chamber that's two, two, three. But then it has mm-hmm. bristle on the outside, so I can take it in and just and yeah. and spin it, and it mm-hmm. blows everything out that I need out. It's yeah. sweet. But with that, if you clean it when it's lightly dirty. You won't need to get too invasive with that. Correct. I have that as an, oh, crap, I got lazy, and I have about 1,000 rounds here, and it's all hardened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I would wrap this up, but I know everyone's favorite topic, accessories. Now, we talked about accessories, the light and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But as far as the range goes, Mm -hmm. what are some accessories that are going to help you? Uh, First is don't dye stuff. So iPro and... I keep an IFAC in my range bag whenever I go to the range. Back up. You've already lost me. Don't dye stuff. Yes. Co- dye color? Don't, no. As in keep yourself Safety. alive. Oh, Safety. don't. Okay. Safety. Okay. So Eyes and ears. Eyes and ears for sure. Um, decent eyes. Like I run some Oakley ballistics. Those are real nice in case you have some kind of nasty malfunction. They're ballistically rated. Wiley so. X are a little bit cheaper and they're great mm-hmm. as well. That's what yeah. I use. But then um, I have an IFAC with just, just the basic sort of – um, uh, time-saving things like tourniquets and uh, um, bleeding management stuff here and there. Um, and just learn a little bit about that because that's also something that you should be looking at as well when it comes to self-defense. I'd like to do an episode on that specifically. Well, uh, who's the cl- who's, which, which one of us is closest to a doctor? Is that Kiefer? No. He's a mortician. Well, it depends on who you ask. Kiefer yeah. could be your everything. <laughs> yep. A lot of people really like uh, Jason's was a microbiologist. Yeah, I'm um, natural resource. I'm out. I'm a meteorologist. I'm um, a motorcycle mechanics. So, uh, so combined, we are not doctors. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, that's a different conversation. So, what's IFAC? Individual first aid kit. Okay. It's got stuff in there that is designed to basically just buy time until the ambulance comes. Stop the bleeding. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but uh, safety stuff first. Yep. And then uh, things like what he had mentioned there, the type of target that you're, that you're setting up, um, covers for your bullet holes. Um, a shot timer would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, doing, knowing your times is important for the sense of progress. Right. 
So it's not something that you really need to pay that much attention to. But no, but you can't tell how good you're getting at target yes. acquisition unless you can put that at a frame. Gives such you a as goal to work towards. It's a way to quantify. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a good way to to look at that. Don't don't really get to. Ooh, I want to get this to two seconds. Just keep on going, and then you'll notice when you plateau and try and break through that and keep and and uh, keep going. Yep. Shot good shot timers are pretty expensive, so that's that's a later down the road thing. But um, I wonder if they make an app. They do. It's most of the apps I've messed with are kind of cack. Yeah, yeah so they we're don't. Not, we're not going to go. I we will not, not recommend apps then. Not, uh, not if you pay for it. No, <laughs> if it's free, yeah, go ahead, try it. Yeah. Who cares? But uh, um, I'd say after that, it's just. So we've got safety. Yeah, all your safety stuff. Safety and quantifiers. Um, I think yeah. gloves are good to have because that hand guard will heat up. Are they? Well, let me ask you. Because what situation? Would you be most likely to use your weapon? Like my Mark 18 is by my bedside. Now we're talking range. Oh, just range. Yes, just but at yeah. the range. Just range gloves are fine, but I'm a f- I'm a firm believer in in it's a cliched phrase that the military says. I'm not military, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, train how you fight. Yeah. So um, I don't mean dress down to you to to your underwear and go to the range and <laughs> you know roll out of the yeah roll out of bed and start shooting but um, i'm asleep in my onesie i'm not taking that onesie to the range i'll get laughed yeah, at yeah i mean it's that same one from a christmas story isn't it that same rabbit that pink rabbit suit um but yeah um gloves are fine for the range because if you do a lot of shooting your gun certainly can get hot especially if you're messing with a suppressor too if you don't have a cover i keep a welding glove yeah in my range bag because uh scholar is a welder yeah. and uh and uh so she always has something i can just borrow yeah and uh um so she she uh gave me a, a welding glove and it's it's nice to be able to touch a hot suppressor with that mm-hmm. to take it off um but uh you know that's pretty much that there so yeah ammunition shot timer safety stuff um targets targets yeah a lot of cardboard steel you don't you already have a range bag build one yeah yeah Put a stapler gun in there too. Stapler, the stapler. That is the number one thing spray I paint. always forget. Spray paint and I, I'm good with the spray paint, but stapler I always seem staples to go to the range. Staples is me because yeah. I always run out of staples. Yep. Yeah. We'll do it. Maybe we'll do an episode of what's in your range bag because I want to say one thing touching on range bags yeah. is um, I have my walkers, my pass throughs, mm-hmm. but I also have. I mean, because there's so many pockets on these range bags, I just have. They're cheap. Go out yourself like a big old quantity pack of earplugs. Because sometimes oh, yeah. you're gonna have friends with you, yep. mm-hmm. and or sometimes you know maybe you like took winter your, time. Yeah, I'm wearing a big old hat. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not gonna wear over ear mm-hmm. headphones. Yeah, so just dump a whole bucket mm-hmm. of earplugs into a pocket. Mm-hmm. You'll be good to go in case you ever forget your your headphones or yeah. your, your um. Those little Surefire things are real nice too. That go right in your ear. Yep. Yeah, I like those too. I haven't messed with those. They're nice. They're like twenty twenty five bucks. Yeah, for the simple ones. Yeah, at, at uh, Walmart. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it sounds a lot more simple than I had it in my head. So I'm glad I had this conversation. It is. Um, so if you if you went out and you just got your first AR, you know, hopefully this helps you as much as I know it's helped me. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm a first-time AR owner, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this will stem some new uh, some topics we can talk about later on. Maybe as I get better mm-hmm. or worse yeah. or start practicing more. Well, there's something that you mentioned here. We don't need to go into it now because it's pretty much just a passing comment is find a carbine match. Okay. Go find a three-gun match. Mm-hmm. You, yep. know, um, you know, and just... I wanted to ask about matches, yeah. but given the time we had, I knew we could really get into it. You want to save that? So I'll, We'll save it, but I do want to touch on it a little bit yeah. here, and that is what are your recommendations for, like me, for example, mm-hmm. um, should I... I th- it would probably be a good idea to go and actually watch these matches to know what you, you're getting yourself into first. Like, don't just go out and sign yourself up for one. Aww. Or should you? Yeah, do it. Do it? Okay. Yeah, who cares? It's going to have, you're going to have uh, suggestions as to what to bring. You know, bring 200 rounds of ammunition and this and that. And honestly, you can probably talk to someone who's running the match to, hey, this is my first time. What should I bring? The people at matches are very, very nice to deal with. Mm-hmm. At least the ones that we've, seen here right. ones that I've been to at Keystone they're all really really helpful and they will lend you gear they will lend you advice mm-hmm. because you know there's not much on on the line here they they're out here to have fun and get better yep so don't don't worry about 
where you place. Don't worry about having a non-ideal weapon. Just get out there and shoot because you will learn so much. A lot of it's about training your muscles and how to how to move. And your and mind react. as well. Dude. It's not a, it's so much about the weapon you have. It's just mm-hmm. you moving correctly. Right. And you you will discover so many of your shortcomings when you do a match. Mm-hmm. It's it's a humbling but informative experience. And you know something like something like this. Uh, your ideal three guns, a 16-inch barrel with a good low-power variable on it that's really accurate with a fast trigger, it's lightweight, doesn't have a light, doesn't have a suppressor, it has big old break. It's a different weapon mm-hmm. entirely. Mm-hmm. But what you learn from a, a, a match like that is you learn how fast you can shoot, how accurately you can shoot from target to target to target and then moving and weapon manipulation, reloads, that sort of stuff. You, you learn everything, and it puts pressure on you that you don't get when you train by yourself. Right. Because you're on the clock, and you're in front of an audience. People are watching. Yeah. yeah. So that is, that is enough to push you in the right direction of training while stressed. So in your opinion, it's a good idea. Do a little bit of shooting, but sign up for a match and see what you can do. Yeah. yeah. Once, you re- once you reach that, that, that foundation where you can stand up and hit a target that's, I don't know, six inches across at 100 yards offhand, uh, once you've hit that stage, yeah, go shoot a match. And and once you have this, the safety bits down, like when you move, finger on the trigger guard like this, you know, proper weapon safety maneuvers, you know, you're not flagging everyone, you're not, you know, running around like this with your finger on the trigger and all that sort of stuff. Once you've got that good, go shoot a match. Okay. Yeah. Who, and who cares if you suck? Right. Everyone's going to suck on the first go. Right. But it's it's so important to start there. Yep. Right. I agree. Well, guys, that is going to conclude today's episode of group therapy. Uh, I really appreciate you guys sitting down and letting me pick your brain. Uh, again, if you are just kind of tuned in late into the episode. Today we talked about the fact that I got my first AR and now I don't know what to do. And Derek is telling me what I need to do. So I appreciate that. Luke, thank you for being here, giving us your experience yep. also. Uh because I know you're very knowledgeable on many aspects. Um, so that'll uh, that'll conclude today's episode. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them in the comment section below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening, you can write us in, grouptherapy at eurooptic.com. We'll do our best to answer those questions, whether it's this episode or other episodes. We want to hear from you. Uh, and also, comment down below, what is or was your first AR? I'd like to know what other people are getting. What are some of the accessories? How do you set it up? You can also go back and watch our other episode on setting up your AR for home defense. And lastly, to touch on today's subject matter, we talked a little bit about guidelines and ATF. We have done a video on that. Please go back and watch it. I'm not sure how much longer that video is going to be relevant. Uh, but as of now, a lot of the things we talk about in the video are actually still going. Give it a week or two, and who knows what the NFA is going to do. Who knows? Yeah. But. All right, well, thanks for uh, tuning in, guys, and we'll see you on the next episode.